Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today was diagnosed with Crohn's disease back in 2011 and has been utilizing cannabis to allow him to function in his everyday life. He's a Michelin star chef, a food designer who spent a majority of his, of his career working 80 hours a week in fine dining restaurants and hotels around the world. John Georges, he's worked for him, Mario Batali, Richard, I think it's Icubus, are just a few of the chefs that he spent a lot of time with personally. And he's now currently the CEO and founder of Plant Jam, a cannabis-based edibles company based in Massachusetts. David Yosefzada, did I say that right? Welcome to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Did I say your last name right? Pretty close. Pretty close. close. It's Yosefzada. Yosefzada. Okay. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry, sir. No, no, no. Not sorry. at all. Got to get it right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and where you go sure. to school, and what were you really, what were your intentions in life? Sure, sure. Grew up uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, originally from Minneapolis. Um, grew up in Kentucky, elementary school, middle school, high school. Grew up with you know two parents who cook really well. Not not professional chefs, but uh, I grew up around a lot of great food. And my best friend growing up was Japanese, so I was fortunate enough to be exposed to a lot of different flavors, a lot of different styles of eating, and. Um, you know, being in central Kentucky, you wouldn't necessarily think that sashimi, you know, raw fish was, uh, was present, but because there was a large Toyota plant close by, uh, a lot of the executives had a lot of fresh fish flown in. So I grew up just eating again, not, not your typical teenage, uh, kind of menu and diet and, uh, ended up graduating high school and moving to Charleston, South Carolina to go to culinary school at Johnson and Wales. Uh, one of their, so you, graduated, you graduated from high school with the intent to go to culinary school. Correct. Yes. I was working in restaurants uh, throughout high school and uh, cooking a lot at home. I, I was certainly one of the, I guess you could say a weird kid because I, I have two older brothers who were playing every sport possible. And I was watching Traveling Chefs of Europe on PBS. Uh, this is pre, pre-Food Network. Here, I'll, I'll tell you something very funny. I'm, I'm way proof pre-Food Network. <laughs> but um, if, you, if I go back to my childhood, I'm sort of playing in bands. Um, I was a musician. I played band starting at about age 15. And okay. um, then my, by the time I hit my almost my senior year of high school, <clears throat> my band, very, very interesting, uh, all my bandmates were guys that were in their late 20s, early 30s. And so we had gigs in, in, we had gigs in nightclubs and places that I couldn't even walk in the front door of. I had to go around sure. and go to the back door because I was underage. Sure. And um, you know, I, we, we got one gig that was going to last for three weeks in Ocean City, Maryland. And it was at a pretty popular restaurant there. And, you know, the band went on. We went on at like 8 o'clock and we would play from 8 until, you know, midnight. And um, uh, the restaurant didn't really shut down. Like there's an area where the band played and the dance floor and all that was separated from the eating and dining area. But what I ended up doing was I was working there and I had to stay in Ocean City I'm from Baltimore. I had to stay. It's like 100 miles away from my home. I had to stay there for three weeks. And so I woke up the next morning after the first gig and they put us up in this upstairs little area that they had that we could sleep in. And I went downstairs and, and I remember walking down and uh, the manager was like off the clamp. He was all yelling and screaming at somebody else. They were screaming because the sous chef had walked out mm. and they didn't have a sous chef that day. So I'm 16 and a half years old, and I went, I'm a sous chef. I bullshit. <laughs> I know anything you talk about. But but I, like you, 
<clears throat> grew up in a home where my father and my mother both cooked. Right. So I started cooking. I remember I started cooking. I, I started messing around on the stove at age seven. You know, yep. when I was in elementary school, I would cook breakfast right. and left that house. And yep. so, and then I kept going, I kept doing that. So I ended up walking down to the, to the manager and said, no, dude, I, I got the sushi stuff down. I can do that. And the guy said, okay, cool. So I ended up double dipping. I literally worked from like two in the <laughs> afternoon until six. And then went and on stage. I do all the food prep and went on stage. <laughs> and then during the break, we'd go back in the kitchen to break out some of the stuff that I already prepped. And if I had to fill in some more stuff, I would do that. Go back it's, out. Uh, it was crazy. It's, it's a skill set that that you know you can really step into uh, to any kitchen and have some of those basics down. So that's yeah, it's, a, it's fun to hear. I, I think spending careers in kitchens, you 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 kind of build this community, right? There's there's you yeah. spend a lot of time with these folks, so you're you're you get to see how someone else grew up make, making the same dish that you grew up know how to making in a different way, and you really get perspective through this food. And I think that's you know that'll lead into you know some of our later conversations around what we do these days, but. Um, basically spent my career in restaurants, in hotels. Um, after culinary school, I was at the Ritz-Carlton right outside of Atlanta. Uh, decided to go back to school, went to the University of Minnesota, where I triple majored in food science and nutrition, sociology and agriculture economics. So still focus on food, but in different avenues. Uh, graduated from, from the University of Minnesota, moved to Hong Kong and started working at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel there. Uh, was there for a bit and then actually transferred here to the Boston area to the hotel here. Uh, spent about a year and a half here. Back to Minneapolis briefly to open a restaurant, then down to Chicago to open Italy uh, with Mario Batali and eventually came back out to Boston for graduate school. So been involved in the, you know, food, um, continuing education, exploring agriculture, hemp, cannabis world for, for quite some time. Before we talk about um, your transition in the cannabis and stuff, let's talk a little bit more about your career as a chef. I mean, what was that like, man? You were working in Hong Kong. You just left the United States and the hours of stress, the pressure, all that stuff. Yeah, it was it's restaurants are the ultimate multitasking environment that you can be in. You're, you're, you're not only working with ingredients that break down, oxidize, change over time, but you have to coordinate with the other people that you're cooking next to. So, you know, most kitchens are divided into a meat station, a fish station, sauce, vegetables, et cetera. So you're coordinating with people around you all the time to hit the window at the same time with your dishes to go out to the dining room. So it's a really massive emphasis on communication, massive emphasis on being part of a team, uh, making sure that, you know, it's not all about you. You're, you're not the only one. It's really, you know, helping out everyone so that, so the restaurant can succeed as a unit. Um, it's a, it's a great learning experience. I, I think the pressure is real. There's, there's a, there's a show out now called The Bear, which everyone has oh, been yeah. watching and, and you know texting me about and, and messaging us. And a lot, I think it's probably the most realistic insight into what chefs go through on a daily, weekly, you know, uh, balance, especially opening a new place. But kitchens are tough. Uh, there's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of ego. Um, you know, you're dealing with fire and sharp things. So those, those are certainly added elements <laughs> that create a little bit of stress, but so you, don't, I, you don't want to have a lot of testosterone around with not sharp. Correct. Fire, but yeah, correct. And, and that's, and, and that's a big part of it too. I think, you know, I, I started, uh, I worked at the Ritz Carlton, um, at Reynolds plantation, which is you know, 40 miles, uh, from Atlanta, east of Atlanta. And my boss at the time, Ruben Garcia, you know, I was 19 and he knew that I didn't know much, but could tell that I cared a lot and was willing to teach me and, and help me kind of, you know, learn the ropes and understand a little bit more of what it really took to to 
you know, commit and, and be dedicated to this to this project. And I just fell into an amazing group of people that he was surrounded with. And, and, and that, you know, again, that was kind of that first family that really showed me what things were supposed to be like. And from there, it was just building onto that foundational experience. And but how old uh, were you about then? How old were you then? I was 19. And that's about the same time that you got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, is it not? A few, a few, year, few years later, but that was kind of the first. So being in kitchens, your diet is not great. Your sleep isn't okay. great. Your stress level is extremely high. And, and explain, explain that to people because they, they won't understand when you say your diet's not great, but you don't get to eat the meal that you put on the table for somebody else. You eat correct. the scraps, right? You're eating and, scraps. And, correct. And most of the time you don't really want to because you're cooking it every day, right? right? If you work at a pizza place, you don't eat that much pizza. It's just kind of the way it is. I think for us, having limited time available to eat, having ingredients in front of us, we would usually take, you know, uh, if someone overcooked a steak the night before, we would save it, chop it up, throw it in a fried rice and feed it, you know, as a group, we'd have family meal every day. Um, we ate for nutrients. We didn't eat for pleasure when we're at work. Uh, you also don't want to be full while you're cooking. You want to be hungry. You want to be able to taste something and instinctively know what goes into that dish right away. If you're full, you're, you're, you're not tasting it with the same mentality. So, um, yeah, I think diets of most chefs are, are, are not great. And there's certainly, you know, a lot of alcohol and other, you know, elements around that don't contribute. Right. Um, lots, of cannabis. lots of cannabis. And that's, that's actually kind of a fork in the road. I think in most restaurants, there's in general, a lot of cocaine, a lot of alcohol. Um, I think most of the chefs that I know prefer cannabis. And, you know, we were really trying to calm down after a shift. We were trying to mitigate a lot of the adrenaline that was in our bodies. Some of the front of the house folks were turning it up and had pockets full of cash and they were ready to go out all night. So big, big divide, you know, in most restaurants in that regard. Yep. But then all of a sudden you, you lived, did you, did you sense something was going on? And again, you know, working in, in a restaurant, you're literally sampling all kinds of different foods. Did that right. exacerbate your Crohn's? The stress level definitely helped it surface a lot earlier than it, than it should have. I was on my way to a jazz concert in Burlington, Vermont. I was going to see Herbie Hancock. Couldn't have been more excited. Never made it to the show. Um, went, uh, was staying at an Airbnb the night before, woke up in the morning, had a lot of stomach cramping, went to the bathroom and it was nothing but blood right. and, uh, set off a lot of alarms, went to the hospital and they said, you have chronic Crohn's disease. How did, how did you not know this? It shouldn't reach this point without you being aware of it. Well, at the time I was exercising frequently. I was doing lots of sit-ups. My abs were always tight. My, my torso was always tight. A lot of the symptoms that come from Crohn's feel very similar to that. There's a lot of tension and, and, and inflammation, you know, in that area. So I didn't I didn't think I didn't notice anything of it because, again, there were no other symptoms surfacing. Otherwise, my stomach acid was high, but that's not unusual for most chefs with that with that stress. So uh, it really kind of took a slap in the face in that regard to to, you know, uh, pause, you know, what I was doing. And every gastroenterologist that I've seen told me that I needed to lower my stress and get more sleep and eat better, which is very challenging in the, in the industry that I was in. So kind of entered this unique place of, you know, what do I do? What, what are my options? And, um, started on quite a few different medications and went down a very long path of finding things that would work for a period of time and then would eventually stop working. And most doctors said, Oh, you just need more of this drug, which is not the answer. Uh, but very typical for, for a lot of people in this space. And, and did you have to take a break from, being a chef during that period of time? 
I took a short break. I mean, literally a six week break, nothing major, but just enough time to really understand what was going on and what it was going to take. You know, we wanted to verify that that was the only issue uh, and that there wasn't something deeper. So I had MRIs on my small intestines. I mean, I went through a whole series of tests, you know, just to make sure that 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 was, you know, the only thing that was really going on at the time. Uh, but no long term break. No, I, um, I hard to hard to just kind of stop when you're when you're running a, a business like that. So jump back in and uh, eventually throughout the years, really just all of the medications I was getting were failing. Nothing was was working long term. And I ended up on a drug called Remicade uh, that was given to me through an IV every eight weeks. And I was taking 400 milligrams, you know, sitting in a room surrounded by others that were getting similar drugs, watching, you know, reruns of The Price is Right and kind of just sitting dormant in this room. It, it, it's a really dark place to, to sit and, and be surrounded by, you know, other people that are that are sick as well. And two of my cousins and, and some friends were really pushing me to look into cannabis for treatment. And I was very familiar with it at the time, but certainly had not viewed it in this regard and uh, happened to, to move to Massachusetts and started, got a medical card went into dispensaries and started to look at the products that were there and typical gummies, chocolates, you know, nothing. Uh, it, it was all kind of candy based and um, really started to evaluate. Well, I know how to cook. I know how to make cannabis butter. Let's start exploring things that will work for me. Uh, started making recipes at home and ice cream was one of the first things we made that really worked. And it also made sense for me because it was a nighttime product that I would have before bed. And my goal was always to increase my rest and increase my appetite. And, you know, two big side effects of cannabis are getting good sleep and, and having the munchies. So it really started to kind of play into what I was doing. And uh, long story short, ended up leaving all synthetic medication and, and moving on to full-blown cannabis in June of, of 18. Wow. Okay. And, and then you decided to not only do that for your own health care, but you also decided, well, I do this, it tastes pretty good. Maybe I'll share this with others. Is that Correct. when you decide to start working in using your talents in cannabis full time? That's right. That's right. So we put in an application uh, in the town that we're in in Framingham back in 2017 and, you know, started having these conversations with the local task force that was here and eventually put an application in with the state and took quite a bit of time and energy to to get through, but uh, made it to the market. We started selling our first products in, in June of 21. And ice cream is is our flagship, but we do other things at this at this point. And you you beat Ben and Jerry's to the ice cream, did you not? <laughs> ben and Jerry's, yeah, Unilever. Um, we've been fortunate enough to to meet Ben and hang out with him quite a bit. He's been in the space, really great friend, and uh, extremely helpful in, in everything that we're doing. Just just from kind of a mentor uh, conversation. But yes, there was uh, some early chatter of them getting into the CBD ice cream space, and you know Vermont's a extremely cannabis friendly state. Correct. Um, but their market kind of just kicked off uh, pretty recently. So fr from the rec side. So uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing some ice cream up there sooner than later. Yeah. And then what can you share with us about some of your cannabis products and the whole innovation process? Sure. So we, you know, coming from the restaurant industry, when we're looking at a product, we have a library of recipes. You can think of us like musicians. We, we have all these songs that we've recorded. We've have all these recipes that we've done over the years and versions of them. So now we want to really figure out a, what's going to resonate with the customer base, B what we'll get through testing from a microbial and mycotoxin standpoint uh, and, and what's kind of hip. So ice cream for us was really a, a no brainer. 
Um, our executive chef, Linnea, she makes incredible products and you know has this kind of pastry background. And so when we were starting to, to get into ice cream, we were looking at what is the energy delivery? Fat gives you nine kilocalories of energy per gram. So that was something we really wanted to lean into. Um, innovating on the ice cream side still keeps us in the treat category, but allows us to really bring in a lot of things that other people aren't working on. It was definitely a heavy lift to bring freezers into dispensaries. It was a heavy ask to get some of these uh, dispensary owners to bring freezers in. I mean, the price of a dispensary is extremely expensive. So if they're going to give us some real estate, we want to make sure it's worth their time. Uh, but we, yeah, we started uh, summer, you know, June of 21 and, and kind of just been slowly trickling up this whole time. So um, ice cream was definitely the biggest, you know, drop that we've made. We currently have uh, some chocolate bars that are hash infused, rosin infused out with uh, one of our partners, Bountiful Farms. Uh, and then we also make the cleanest gummies on the market. So we make vegan, no sugar added. We use real fruit, full spectrum cannabis. Uh, so we're we're really trying to just focus on, I wouldn't say necessarily the highest tier, because I don't want it to seem snooty, but certainly people that are more interested in what's on the inside of the products that they're consuming, not just the cannabis, high quality cannabis right. with high quality ingredients. And so right now you currently offer what messages? Ice cream, chocolates, and gummies. Yeah. Do you, how many dispensaries are you in, do you know? Currently, we're in over 70. Uh, we've made it into over 80. We've lost a few clients. We've gained a few new ones. Uh, but we're selling everywhere from Western Mass down to the tip of the Cape. So you can pretty much find us in any any area you're in. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in about 40 of them. So I'll, uh, I got a product line that's in about 40 different dispensaries. Right, right. I'm looking for you. Yeah, yeah. We were just with the Primitive team this uh, this weekend. Yeah. We were chatting about you, actually. As well, I, well, I, I get to come up. I'm, I'm going to probably come up again next month. I, I try to get there every other month to uh, do some dispensary visits to explain yeah. my product difference to the, to the consumers. And uh, so I'll definitely will be looking for some ice cream when I get up there. Yeah, we'd love to see you. We also do, you know, a lot of dinners. Uh, you know, we do some infused dinners on the side. We do a lot of private events. So uh, we'd love to have you at one of those as well if it sure. lines up with your schedule. Absolutely. Now, are you looking to expand to other states? Definitely. We're working with some folks right now, some of our investors that are operating in other states. Uh, our goal long term is more to get out of operations and to focus more on IP development, licensing, uh, you know, white labeling, building brands for other folks. So I think with where we are with this whole library of recipes, you know, the Massachusetts market is confined to the state lines, right? So, so we need to find partners in other states in order to bring some of these things to to the market. So, we're we're certainly looking to expand. Any any advice you want to get? You know, a lot of my listeners are tuned in to see if they can pick up some tips or things. Any advice that you would give to a novice on how to cook with cannabis? Because I've had some I've had some issues, not issues. I I, I watch a lot. I'll put it to you. I watch a lot of these uh, when they had them on. There were a few different cannabis consumption shows that were on. And Netflix, yeah. I really, honestly, I, I'm the one who, I don't, maybe I'm, I'm speaking wrong or speaking to the choir, but I don't understand why people think they have a need to cook with their oil at temperatures over 250, 300 degrees. It just seems, a, to me, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I understand Everything that I make and consume, except for I do bake a, a really mean muffin. However, sure. um, even those muffins, once there was isolates and oils available, I stopped baking the cannabis into the muffin. I literally would bake, bake a muffin, punch a hole in the middle of it, sure. and bake it through. Make sure that when it finished baking, when you took a little muffin out, there'd be like a little pencil hole in the middle. And I'd take mm -hmm. a pencil, pour some oil in it, sure. let it 
sit overnight in my refrigerator, and that's the one I would eat. Because to right. me, as I bake off all the terpenes, what good is it? You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I'm gonna you're, I'd say you're further ahead than most people. I mean, this is where the conversation is. This is where we come in. And and the future of on-site consumption is something we're very interested in. And we've been talking to the, you know, Cannabis Control Commission about here in Massachusetts because we, what you're saying is exactly what we talk about. Denaturing proteins, heating your oils past a certain point, killing off terpenes. You know, from, from our brand perspective, you know, one of our ice creams uh, is a rosin infused ice cream. And we went to Harbor House, one of our partners found a strain, the terpene profile that we really love, and then we built a flavor around it. So we're more interested in celebrating the terpenes rather than hiding them. So when yeah. you're talking about cooking, that's a big part of it. And I you think it's- So you lost, you know, if, if you're good so at you lost so much. And and honestly, Correct. I do think you actually, I, again, I'm pretty sure you impact the amount of THC that's left over. Because I mean- you know, If you're you eating it, yeah, time and temperature abuse is is a big uh, yeah. a big no no. But this this is this is where we come in. This is our hope and our goal is to bring that education in this regard to it. I, I know I know my 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 folks in my office have reached out to you to talk a little bit about you know Correct. looking at some ideas that we have because I've got a couple I've had some ideas for some products that um, I've really held back on because I've been trying to find the right person who understands the difference. In what I'm we, we would yeah, we'd love to continue that conversation. I mean, we're we are. We are hoping to not only expand, but to expand in this kind of education mentality. Not a lot of people would understand what you just said about building, burning off those terpenes. It doesn't, they don't have the proper receptors to receive that information. It's, it's, right. it's, there's a long way to go. And, and, you know, post COVID, a lot of chefs were out of work. I mean, during COVID, but post COVID. And so we, we hire all chefs. So we, we want to bring this understanding of food, this understanding of cooking, because when you start to educate them about, what happens with cannabis, they can plug it right into these cells that they already have formed. So uh, I got a pro do I have a product? <laughs> we're gonna talk about something, dude. I'm telling you. Wait, no, we no, we're not gonna talk about it here, but we'll talk about it. I'm telling you, Looking I got forward to it. Yeah. I ain't kidding you. I know it's gonna be, one of gonna be like it'll be on every shelf of every single uh dispensary in the country if we get it done. We yeah, we'd love to chat about it. We've uh we've got some fun things in the works. I think the dinners for us are really the best place for people to get to know us, people to get to, you know, taste what we're thinking about, what we're working on. I mean, we've cured and, egg yolks and cannabis. Go ahead. Well, let, let me just stop you there when you say dinners, because I don't understand. That's another one of these things that just blows my mind. Most of the states in their initial passage of laws didn't allow for on-site consumption. Now they're starting to open up opportunities for on-site consumption. Right. Um, and so, I mean, but you have to do it in a private location and this, that, and that, and that. Would it, you know, I've been, I've been to a couple of uh, um, foodie experiences. I've been to one here in Miami. I've been to one in California, a couple of them in California, where, you know, you go in and you can sit down and have a really good infused meal. And you can also, you know, um, actually consume cannabis in the same, smokable cannabis in the same location right. of eating. Um, but what's been the feedback from, the public, it, it just seems like there's a little reticence when people are afraid to go into a place. What, do you, what have you got? We, we see a mix. We see a lot of people that, I mean, we've been very fortunate. We've been cooking infused dinners for almost six years now here in Massachusetts. We've had a great response. We sell out, you know, all of our events. We're, we're actually working on some weekend getaways now where we go rent a house, you know, uh, in Western Mass and have five couples come out and we treat you to a whole weekend cooking, yoga, meditation, you know, kind of a full package of, of cannabis getaways. But the on-site consumption is unique because we, we've we opened so many dispensaries, cultivations, manufacturers, 
but there's no place for the community to come together and enjoy these products together. Everyone has to find, you know, if they're outside of their own home, some safe place to consume. So for us, again, coming back to, to being chefs, we want to build a community around it. And food for us is the biggest connector. So throwing these dinners, we're able to custom infuse every course. So if someone who's trepidatious, you know, coming in, we can say, look, we can give you five milligrams throughout the entire meal while the person sitting next to you could have up to 150, 200. So we're able to make sure that you're in a safe space. We communicate with you. We usually do five, seven, nine courses. So there's some time in between, meaning you're eating at the same time. So there's a safety kind of slow build because, you know, if it's sure, entering yeah. through your liver, exactly, right? It's right. fighting for surface area. So our goal is not to make anyone uncomfortable in any regard. In fact, quite the opposite. But um, we've had some great conversations. I mean, we've had people bring their parents to dinners. We've had, you know, 30-year-olds uh, bring their 60-year-old parents to, to the events that were curious. They say, hey, you know, I used to smoke grass back in the day and, you know, we were interested in you know, what's happening now. So I think there's a good mix. I think the commission here is 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 very aware that this is a necessary thing to take place. My personal opinion is that they shouldn't be involved. I think this should just be a private event space where, you know, you check IDs at the door and people can bring their own cannabis and consume. I think right. the the tax situation of having a license in this state I was under the impression when we got started that the Cannabis Control Commission would be our biggest help and they've actually been our biggest challenge. And okay. some of the folks have left and there's new people there and, and a lot of them are great, but uh, ultimately there's a little too much control, way too many taxes. It's, it's just not a good scenario. So um, Massachusetts probably would be a little further behind New York, Connecticut, New Jersey and opening some of these establishments here. I also think though that we also have something else that's kind of like pushing back like against cannabis consumption lounges and places is, is like, you know, the Nikki new guy who goes out into Colorado and buys themselves a 200 milligram candy bar, sure. eat the whole thing and never smoke the day in their life and ready to jump out their window. Go and to the it, ER. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's stupid because, you know, the person who sold it to him should be smacked upside the head. Correct. Yeah. Education again. I mean, education is probably the center part of, of, of all this, you know, right. making sure your consumer understands, you know, what they're getting into. But that's what that I, I've been saying this. I mean, you're, you're beating the same drum that I beat because it's like, you know, since be, this, this industry has done a good job B2B teaching right. businesses how to be in the business, but they've done a really piss poor job B2C and that's right. business to the consumer. But we should be spending most of our time right now, especially what you just said about the fact that having customers bring their parents in. Most people don't understand that within the next five years, I think the biggest consumers of cannabis are going to be baby boomers. They will be. They, they need it more than most folks in, in general. From, they will from be there and, and they have the most disposable income. They have the most right. disposable income. Great point. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to touch back, the, the dinners allow us real FaceTime with people that are coming in. They can ask us questions in real time. We can sit and right. visit with them. They can spend time with us after the dinner. We, we find venues that are smoke friendly as well. So people can can consume at the same time. But having that, you know, we're 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 building our community a small group at a time. But a lot of those folks stay involved and stay in our fold and, you know, come to future events and and support us. And we're thankful for them. But I do think that going through Crohn's, going through an autoimmune disease, talking with my gastroenterologist, all the tests, all the procedures, all the colonoscopies. There's no one really within the hospital walls that's advocating for any of this. They're not necessarily against it, but they can't support it. And so we're now trying to penetrate 
Crohn's and Colitis Foundation support groups, other areas where we can have real conversations, you know, with people that are that are going through the same thing. So um, the baby boomers, the older communities, states like Florida, where the population is is in that demographic, uh, are really important places to focus a lot of this education. Absolutely, and I and I, I I see we haven't even scratched the surface on the way this can also be delivered. I mean, I believe sure. we can deliver this this to the consumer, not just in a way where I got to answer a flyer that says, do you want to go to a dinner on Friday night? But right. you know, if right. I have locations that are set up where people know that they're going to be, and then, you know, we could maybe put a schedule up and let them know that it's there. I just think that the way you approach people about this is going to be taking a whole different world for itself. Totally agree. We have a website, seatleaf.com, S-E-A-T-L-E-A-F. And that's where we put, you know, tickets up for our dinners and, and weekend getaways. And we, we have a lot of conversations with folks there. But, you know, we think there's another layer of, you know, especially being in the Boston area with the medical community here. Let's say you're going in for a colonoscopy next week. I'm Montel. My exam is on Wednesday. I'm X years old. I have X allergies. Um we would basically schedule a meal replacement, whether it's food, whether it's smoothies, whether it's uh, something that works for you to be delivered to your home upon your return from the hospital. Because when you have these procedures, you have nothing left in your body, literally. Right. There's right. no nutrients. You're dehydrated, so many things. And why not have a plant-based recovery option that can be delivered to your door? Correct. So you have nutrients, food, vegetables, fruits with cannabis at the same time to get back on your feet. Cannabis, or you do you do, do non-THC infusion? Absolutely. Yeah, we do minor cannabinoids as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you got any new products coming down the pipe? Anything we don't know about? We do. Uh, nothing we can quite talk about yet here. But, um, yeah, if you go to plantjam.co, you'll see a lot of things that we're working on. Obviously, Instagram's a, a good place to stay up uh, in the news. But uh, excited you said plant, for plantjam.gov? Dot co. Dot co. Excuse me. Dot co. Okay, sir. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And, and if, if people want any other information about what you're doing, that's where they get it at? Correct. Well, look, my friend, I can't wait for us to uh, get a chance to meet in person. Um, I'd love to sit down and share a meal with you. Uh, and um, maybe sometime I'll come by your spot and, and we can do an afternoon of cooking. We'd love I, to have you. I throw down with some good stuff. <laughs> we'll I'm, have I'm an a, apron ready for you when you get here. I'm a crab cake dude, my, my, my friend. I, can, <laughs> I, I make a crab cake that's mean. I also do keep a lot us. of fish. Yeah. Yeah, keep us in the loop. We'd love to have you. Cool, my friend. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. Thank you so you much too. for being a part of Let's Be Bought today. And keep us posted on what's going on. You know, sometime when you have some event coming up, just send it off to Keith and I'll make sure you I do. put it up on uh, Let's Be Bought, okay? Will do. Thank you so much. All right, my friend. You stay well. Be safe. Love that family of yours. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Take care. And the same thing to you. Make sure you tune in to the next edition. Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin. And I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.